Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Prog Report Profiles, where we're looking at the Neil Morris Band. This is episode three. Of course, if you've missed the first two episodes, they're available on progreport.com and all of our podcast outlets. And joining me, as always, is Jeff Bailey. Hello, Roy, and hello, everyone. And yes, I'm I'm joining you on a Neil Morse band high um, after seeing them on the first date of the European Great Adventure. And uh, yeah, an amazing show. And they seem to be um, doing really, really well across Europe at the moment. So that's great. Yeah, from everything we're seeing online, if anybody is following the band, of course, on Facebook or Instagram, uh, you can sort of see that the audiences are, are pretty large and they seem to be full venues and yeah. um, you know, the band is doing as well as ever. So, uh, you know, congrats to them and congrats to the people that get to go see this show because it's a great show. It is. Yeah. So when we last left off uh, after episode two, um, Neil Morris had the auditions for the uh, Chance of a Lifetime which were the auditions held on YouTube where he found Bill Hubauer and Eric Gillette and Adson Sodre. All three were on tour for the Momentum Tour. That's where we left off. So we're at about 2012 um, where the band uh, was on hiatus after the tour and uh, Randy, George, Mike Portnoy, and Neil Morris got together and put out a second covers album this time called Cover to Cover, but with the number two in the middle being the second one. The first one, of course, was released back in 2006 and had a whole bunch of great versions of covers uh, that they did. On this one, the second one, um, they covered things from you know the police to Sticks to uh, Steely Dan, a whole bunch of things like that. Um, but one of the standout covers from it that all actually came from the Lifeline sessions was uh, an odd cover called Crazy Horses, which was a song done by the Osmonds, where Mike Portnoy sang, and completely unexpected. And probably most people that listen to Prague never even knew that song existed. I certainly didn't. And I thought of the Osmonds as being completely different than that. But this is a total heavy metal song where Portnoy goes off and it fits his voice perfectly. And it's a lot of fun. So we thought, why not give him a chance to have this uh, moment in the spotlight vocally here on the podcast, and we're going to go with Crazy Horses. And with Paul Gilbert guesting on guitar as well. So their Yellow Matter Custard bandmate. <laughs> Everywhere It's a morning engine Every John got to Stop them crazy horses On the 
Okay, that was Crazy Horses from the Cover 2 cover album from Morse, Portnoy and George, as they call themselves. Um, a great selection of songs, and that particular one was my kids' favourite song for a long time, Roy. Um, they really, really liked that one. We used to play in the car <laughs> quite a lot, and they would rock out So when they were very young. Um, so, yeah, next up, in terms of the releases from um, the group in solo capacity, was a solo album by randy george his second solo album his first one um was an acoustic album called in light of the king's countenance this one was more of a rock stroke prog stroke jazz album um which featured randy on bass but actually most of the guitars and most of the keyboards as well and it's a bit of an all-star cast here because he's got guest appearances from neil morse phil keggy david ragsdale from kansas is on it um david wallyman who was one of the guys who auditioned for Neil Morse band and ended up in um Glasshammer and a whole range of other people um fully instrumental as i said um no vocals um but it's not really a show-offy type album it's not you know a complete um instrumental blowing it's good strong structures and yeah really really good album and to give you a glimpse of that, if you haven't already heard it, we're going to play a song called Riff Raff, which, um, as well as featuring Randy, also features Neil Morse guesting on guitar. <laughs>
jump to 2014, uh, where now Neil Morse was busy putting together a solo album of a different sort, something like what he had done years and years ago with the first solo album that he did, the self-titled or the It's Not Too Late album, um, a little bit more singer-songwriter uh, and the Jackson Brown kind of vibe called Songs from November, which, uh, you know, a great se- selection of tracks, really mellow, very stripped down, um, but features some great stuff. Uh, we're going to play one of the tracks from that called Flowers in the Vase, which also allows Eric Gillette to shine a little bit. And some people weren't aware that he had sung uh, on the Momentum album as well, a little bit on Thoughts Part 5. But here you can absolutely hear, especially now that everybody knows what he sounds like, you can hear how great he sounds on this song. Yeah, fun fact about this album, Roy, is that one of your very favorite Neil Morse band songs actually uh, originated from these sessions, but wasn't uh, included because it didn't really fit. And you can probably tell when I tell you that it was Agenda. And the original the original version of Agenda, um, Neil recorded with Gabe Klein, who who produced this album or collaborated with with him on the production. And uh, obviously it's kind of uh, not something that would have found its place in this album, but did eventually find its place on the first Neil Morse Band album. Okay, so let's go ahead and play Flowers in the Vase. it rise The flame's already warming up the cold night air And it's dancing there in your eyes And oh it's a place of love And oh that is plenty So 
seems that Neil is releasing more than one, two, or three things in any particular year, rather than sometimes spacing them out. Again, this happened with the second Flying Colors album that came out in late 2014 called Second Nature. And we haven't talked about Flying Colors yet before on the on this uh, Prog Report Profiles, uh, but certainly deserves a mention. Um, I mean, I'll just go back to saying, I think it's been on other podcasts that I've been involved in before, but um, if at the time, I mean, if I was going to select uh, my own personal all-star group, th- there's every chance it would have been what ended up being <laughs> flying colors. Uh, you know, I didn't know who Casey McPherson was at the time, but knowing who he is now, he's one of my favorite singers and he's a, an incredible yep. vocalist and, and yep. songwriter. So, um, you know, he absolutely is uh, worthy of being in a band like this. But I mean, if you were going to put, Neil Morris, Mike Portnoy, Steve Morris, and Dave LaRue in a band. I mean, that's that's as good a group yeah. as you're going to find in most cases. So, um, you know, the first album came out in 2012, self-titled, and it was really great. A little little bit more on the popular side. They tried to do the Asia thing. Uh, the executive producer named Bill Evans, who it was his brainchild to put something like this together, got it started with Neil, and then that led to Steve Morris and Dave LaRue, who Bill Evans was playing keyboards with at the time uh, while Steve and, and Dave were on tour. Um, and then Mike, of course, had the suggestion to reach out to Casey, who he had known from his time in Endosheen and uh, thought that he might be a good fit. So that's how that band sort of got together. Uh, the first album was produced mm-hmm. by Peter Collins. The second time around, they felt like they didn't need a producer and they ended up with a much more progressive album, although it has certainly a lot of great pop moments. Uh, it's and I think it's one of uh, one of Neil and Mike's uh, best albums. Yeah, for me. I, I was doing a bit of a bit of homework on the on the timeline around this and looking at these, these are sort of things that that fascinate me. But if you if you just looking at the process of that album coming together, so we took we had a song there from songs from November. Those were songs that Neil wrote in November. Funny enough, um, twenty thirteen December twenty thirteen. Then was when they. Flying Colors initially got together um, to put together the tracks for this album and the backing tracks. Um, after that, then Neil and Mike were on tour with the Kaleidoscope tour with Transatlantic. 
after that tour was done, Neil got together with Casey to work on lyrics and melodies and stuff like that. And by May 14, Neil, Neil had said in his inner circle letter that he had all of his parts done. June 14 then that was when they shot videos for Mask Machine and for Place in Your World. So, you know, in a relatively short space of time, um, compared to maybe what some bands take, um, you know, this was pulled together with obviously very busy musicians. And uh, as you say, it's a it's a great album. I think um I mean I love I love the second flying colors album. I thought the tour was amazing. Um I, I did feel it was different from the first one and I suppose I think it lost a little bit of that pop thing that was maybe something that was a bit different from um you know some of the other collaborations and I like the two albums but in two different ways if you know what I mean um an, an amazing album and certainly fully realized showing the whole variety and breadth of what they can do I did get to see one of the first shows, I think it might have even been the second show that the band had ever played uh, in New York after the mm-hmm. first album was released. And uh, Jolly, I think, opened. Um, and that was that was a great show. But I do remember specifically how, uh, you know, they came on and uh, they were going to open with Blue Ocean. And Mike starts his, you know, drum groove thing. And Dave LaRue comes in with the bass. And, and of course, uh, it's time for Neil to come in. And as many, many times has happened, the keyboards <laughs> didn't work. So <laughs> so this is funny. If you've seen Neil in, uh, play enough times, you've seen his keyboard not work. It just is one of the things that happens. And of course, on the very opening, uh, the keyboard was dead and they just had to keep that thing going for another five minutes until the keyboard finally got got rebooted and, and off they went. So um, but that was a, a really great tour because they, to fill in time, cause they only had one album, they each played, uh, one song from each person's, yeah. uh, back catalog. And, and so, uh, you know, they, they did June from Spock's beard and they did Odyssey from Dixie Dregs for Steve Morris and stuff yeah. like that. So it was a really fun tour to see. And, uh, one of the first times that I saw, uh, I think it maybe was the second time I'd ever seen Neil play live okay, well. was, was that show. So I think we're going to go back and play. Uh, from the second album, I'm going to play A Place in Your World. And what's cool about this track, actually, is that Neil is actually taking lead on this with Casey uh, doing the uh, sort of pre-chorus part, I think. And then Mike chimes in with the vocal section. So we're going to play A Place in Your World from Flying Colors. But before we do that, uh, let's listen to Neil talk about the band coming together. I believe how it happened was that Bill Evans called me and said, hey, he's got a hole in, a hole in his schedule this week. If you fly down there, like now, you could ride with him for a couple of days. So I bought a last-minute ticket, rented a car, and drove to his place, and we sat there and wrote and got to know each other for a couple of days. And it was a wonderful, wonderful experience. And we wrote what was the, the sort of uh, sketches or germ kernels of what would become... Um, Infinite Fire and uh, Better Than Walking Away and uh, perhaps a couple others. I can't remember now. But uh, that was how it began for me. And then it was several years later before uh, we actually got the session together. Uh, Bill Evans was talking about, you know, uh, all these different singers and all the different possibilities and... um, 
finally came together and we all got together in my studio and we made the first record and we all knew it was it was a very special thing.
So now it's 2015 and the Neil Morse Band get together to write what would be their first album as a group. Uh, it is now officially Neil Morse, Mike Portnoy, Eric Gillette, Bill Hubauer, and Randy George. Uh, Adson, of course, couldn't be involved uh, and ended up dropping out of the group. And uh, this was going to be the five members that were going to record what became the Grand Experiment. Yeah, and the band got together and they all pitched in with material and um, listening to um, some of the interviews at the time and listening to some of the stuff that Neil has put out on the Inner Circle. Um, he uh, actually had a, he talks at one point about having a 20 to 25 minute prog sort of stream of consciousness piece that he'd prepared in advance, maybe like he might have done for some of the other sessions, but actually he decided not to use that. And um, we know, I say from what's come out, that Bill, Eric, Randy and Neil all brought bits. And I think it's pretty well known if you ever watch any of the making of DVDs that Mike's role is what Neil calls the gleaner. So Mike will go through what people have done and he will pick out the bits. And um, there's one of the inner circle discs that has some of Bill's demos and one of Bill's tracks that's called Waterfall um, kind of has the, it actually has the intro and the keyboard solo of what became the call. Um, it has a verse that's slightly different and it has the chorus that became Waterfall. So all of those bits kind of go into the, the blender and um, similar with with some of the pieces that Eric has written um, and they go in and they get mixed up and what comes out at the other end is um, the Neil Morse band and um, Bill um, is going to talk to us now just a little bit about what it was like sort of transitioning from being a member of the touring band um, to actually being a full collaborator. When I first joined uh, the Neil Morse band uh, just as a as the keyboard player I guess I always thought that we would collaborate. Uh, it wasn't a surprise to me when, when Neil approached us uh, about doing that. Um, but I think I don't think I appreciated how big of a step it was for Neil to to do that because he had his other bands where he collaborated, like uh, you know Transatlantic and Flying Colors, uh, and you know his solo prog stuff was his only outlet for just whatever he wanted to do himself. So. So I think it was a big step uh, for Neil to open that up uh, for us. Um, and I don't think I fully appreciated that at first. But uh, but once we started uh, working together, it was really mostly like any other band that I've ever collaborated with. Uh, everybody would bring in ideas. And, and uh, Neil was really open and created a lot of space. And he really... He really wanted to see what everybody else would bring to the table, and uh, uh, it was really, really good. Uh, the first, especially on you know Grand Experiment, uh, I know I was very well represented as a songwriter uh, on that album, and uh, was, was couldn't have been happier with um, with the collaboration. Okay, so the Grand Experiment album, the first release by the Neil Morse Band, um, you know. I have to admit it was an album that when it arrived i was really really impressed um i think probably with the the combination that they had with a, a good run of albums with randy mike and neil and with neil doing most or all of the writing that this was definitely something that was a bit different it sounded a bit more varied we heard for the first time bill and eric getting some sort of vocal prominence as well as um their contrib contributions to the writing of the album and again it had 
sort of the 10 minute epic type track in the call it had the the longer epic and an acoustic track in the middle and a couple of pop songs in between it to me it's kind of one of those really really well balanced um albums that reflects a whole diversity of styles and song structures and i i really enjoyed it from the outset there was a fan for going on uh, almost 20 years at that point and it was nice to hear something from neil that while being along the same lines progressive in the whole thing was very uh fresh sounding yeah you know right off the bat i thought the call was just amazing Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it stands for me as maybe a top five song of his, I think, uh, you know, if I was going to show somebody Neil Morris, the, you know, the, one of the issues with trying to explain somebody, his music is, uh, it's hard to say, okay, here, listen to this 15 minute song or this 25 minute song. Um, but then yeah. some of the four minute ones don't encompass what he really does. Yeah. So the yeah. call you know, right around the nine, 10 minute mark sort of covers it. And if you wanted to just show somebody, this is what Neil Morse music is. I think that's a perfect uh, example. Yeah. Uh, so uh, no, I, I thought the grand experiment track itself is great. Uh, Waterfall is great. The Epic is, uh, is solid. I, I think it's a fantastic representation and it, it gave his music and everything sort of a, a, a an extra boost, I think. Yeah. And, you know, and, and I think it was probably a good good timing for something like this. Definitely. I remember saying or or writing maybe once about the track of the call and saying how on the tour that followed that album it was the it was the opener. And then on the um Similitude of a Dream tour it was the set closer and it did both of those things really, really well, which if you think, you know, some songs naturally are, are an opener. Some songs naturally are, are a closer. That was one that that managed to encompass it both, and uh, it was it was good even on the recent tour to hear a little bit of an excerpt of of that track um, slotted into uh, part of what they did. Um, probably by the time this comes out, it won't spoil it for anybody, but I'll not say too much. The other thing about that album was there was a really really good um, bonus disc that came with it because it had um, uh, New Jerusalem. It had Doomsday Destiny, a kind of a bill bill led track, and um, a song that we'll talk about later on in the program. But it also had two uh, sort of preview tracks from the first Morse Fest as well, um, the Creation and Reunion. Um, so that was that was a pretty solid bonus disc. So we're gonna go ahead and play a clip from uh, the album. Uh, we wanted to show just a piece of. Uh, the album that also included Bill and Eric vocally uh, and not just play one track, sort of show something a little bit different. So this is a clip from Alive Again.
Okay, so that was an excerpt from the Neil Morse band Epic Alive Again. And of course, just before that album came out was the very first Morse Fest in 2014. And really something um, that laid the groundwork for what has become an annual event. But at that time, it was very much a one-off with the focus being on playing the Testimony album in full and the one album in full for the very first time that hadn't been played before. Um, Roy and I, unfortunately, didn't attend uh, the 2014 Morse Fest, although we have both been at all of the subsequent ones. But there's absolutely no doubt from seeing um, the DVDs and hearing that, that that was a very, very special time. And of course, encores um, with things like Stranger in Your Soul and The Light with Alan Morse appearing, a real Morse extravaganza, as you would have expected. And seeing, I suppose then, really the consolidated Neil Morse band lineup um, showing that they could you know, play pretty much anything from, from Neil's entire catalogue. So after hearing about the success of Morse Fest 2014, of course, you and I both uh, attended 2015, although we didn't really know each other then, which is No, funny. you were the guy that gave me a free yeah. t-shirt and Victor, Victor right. gave me a, lots of guitar <laughs> picks that he had, which I still got. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, so that was very much a time when uh, the audience was, was still learning who everyone was. <laughs> and now everybody, of course, that goes to Morsefest knows every other person there. Um, but uh, so that was unlike any event I'd ever been to. Yeah, obviously, I'd been to some of these cruises before and, and a million concerts. But this was a really unique weekend that um, – I thought was fantastic and, and really well done, even sort of still in, in its infancy. Uh, but getting to see, you know, the first night, they did a bunch of uh, different songs from Neil's back catalog. And of course, then they did the question mark album. And the following night, they did Solo Scriptura with, uh, I mean, Nick DeVirgilio coming out and, and playing at the end of the day and um, uh, when, when at my back and then they did some section of the uh, whirlwind album mm-hmm. so this was a really massive amount of music over a weekend uh, but of course one of the highlights of the first night was uh, you know they wanted to play some obscure songs uh, and so one of the things that they did was the cover of MacArthur Park uh, on the first night from the uh, second disc of the Grand Experiment which is something that Bill Hubauer had arranged at the, uh, uh, I guess, daring of Mike Portnoy. <laughs> and uh, it came out to be a, a masterpiece track, something that every fan uh, really loves uh, to this day. And of course, when I did a podcast with Mike about a year ago on all his cover albums and cover songs that he did where he picked some of his favorites, the number one cover song that he picked was in fact the MacArthur Park uh, one that he was involved in with this band and, and that Bill Hubar arranged. So here's Mike talking about uh, Bill putting that together. I remember it was, uh, I guess, sometime on the Momentum Tour, I was saying how much I wanted to do a cover of MacArthur Park. I'd always wanted to do a cover of MacArthur Park. <laughs> it was another one of those songs that was just on my list. And I do carry a list. I have a list in my phone of maybe 50 covers that I still want to do. So I, I'm always thinking about them. But uh, I told Bill how I wanted to do MacArthur Park, and he was like, he took it as a challenge to come. The problem was is that Neil hated the song, and Neil right. <laughs> like, oh, my God, it's the worst song ever. I'm not going to do a cover of that song. It's horrible. And I was like, no, I'm telling you, man, I'm telling you, it could be an amazing prog cover. And Bill said, all right, I accept the challenge. I'm going to do an arrangement that will win Neil over, and we'll do this. 
So when we went in to do the Grand Experiment album, uh, Bill brought in this demo of his version of MacArthur Park. And if you listen to it, he actually goes through the entire history of Prague in this cover because there's each section is kind of in the style of a classic prog band. Um, there's a one section that is totally done as Marillion. It's Marillion's uh, King of Sunset Town. It's got that exact feel. Then there's another section that's pretty much done in the style of the Dixie Dregs. There's another style, another section in there that's done in the style of Yes. Another section that's done in the style of Genesis. There's even a section that's done in the style of Transatlantic, like full-on Neil Moore's Boxbeard Transatlantic Prague. So huh. Bill kind of took this song and kind of created the history of Prague, you know, throughout this, this entire journey of this one song. And sure enough, he won Neil over. Uh, Bill still had to do a lot of the singing because Neil was still, <laughs> he was, he didn't want to be singing about bringing the cake out in the rain and all that <laughs> stuff. But uh, we ended up tackling this song. And to this day, it's probably one of the, my favorite covers that I've ever done.
okay, that was MacArthur Park. And just listening to that, I mean, it reminds me that we were talking about the Grand Experiment album coming out. You know, we had seen, um, those of us who follow the band, had seen Eric Gillette and Bill Hubar playing with the band, and we knew, I suppose, their in- instrumental capability. One of the things that was um, the standout thing from the Grand Experiment was actually hearing them um, taking and being allowed lead vocals on the album. And I think really that has become something that has grown and built within Neil Morse band fans that they actually love hearing Bill and Eric singing. Um, And I think that also then partly led on to Eric Gillette's second solo album, The Great Unknown, which was the um, which was the next release from the from the family, if you like, and his first album, Afterthought, had been a mostly uh, instrumental album. There were some vocal songs on it, but they were outweighed in number by the by the instrumental tracks. This album ended up having a lot more vocal tracks um, on it, and also um, on the first album, Eric had played a lot of the instrumentation himself. This time, he was able to draw on his newfound connections in the world of prog and ended up with a pretty much stellar lineup backing him thomas lang on drums and diego and connor from haken on keyboards and bass and it really is a a very very tight album and an album that covers a whole range of things again it ends with a softer piano type song it's got an epic in the middle and it's got a quite a few hard rocking quite heavy songs probably heavier even than a lot of the stuff that um eric would bring or eric would bring to the neil morse band or that would come out through the neil morse band music much of the material drew from his love of bands like dream theater which of course led into him later on working with mike portnoy on the shattered fortress and all of that material but you can hear sort of the dream theater john petrucci influence even more on the great unknown than on what he did with the Neil Morse band. But here's Eric talking about uh, working on this new album and creating this solo album. Really, I just felt like I wanted to do another solo album and I, I wanted it to be more, um, I knew I wanted it to have, I knew, I knew I wanted every song to have lyrics and singing and um, a little more song structure, not as instrumental as, I mean, there is a lot of instrumental breaks and stuff, but um so yeah i had that kind of idea for a while and then i think it was about a year ago more than a year ago now in may i sat down and just started trying to write and got really inspired and i actually wrote escape the the epic first and at at first i wasn't sure if it was going to be if i was just going to try to keep that song going and maybe it would be a some sort of concept but i you know, I got to about the 18-minute mark and felt it kind of wrapped up, and so that kind of made the decision for me. So it became more of a song-based album, aside from the epic.
Okay, so that was Runaway from Eric Gillette's The Great Unknown album. Have you noticed how many things force me to say the word great? Uh, which I know I pronounce differently from, <laughs> yes. from, from most other people in the world with my Northern Irish accent with the, the great unknown, the great adventure, yeah, the great adventure. It's all great, isn't it? Okay, it's all great. Everything's uh, great. Yes, the great unknown. And uh, that track features the great Neil Morse on keyboards, as well as um, the guys from Haken and Thomas Lang. So that was episode three. Uh, of course, we have a couple of big albums to get into with episode four, which will round out our series. So please, if you haven't listened to the other episodes, please go ahead and listen to those. All our other podcasts are there. And uh, we will see you next time. Next time.